Well, it's always great to go down the uh, national landscape and the Big 12 landscape with Dan Rubenstein's Solid Verbal Podcast. Guys do a great job on the college football front and uh, one of my favorite college football podcasts. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. And before we dive into it with Dan, please take a moment and leave us a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us grow every single week, which we are because of you. And that's why I'm giving away a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave me a rating and a review on the show and send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Dan, let's just talk about this offseason here. You know, we're coming off a, a COVID year in college football. We got through it. A, a lot of people didn't think we would. So my thinking from an optimistic standpoint is the worst is behind us. God willing, 2020 is going to be more normal, and we'll be back to where we were. How do you feel? <laughs> um, I feel optimistic, but like I, I also feel like there's a lot of blanks that we're still yet to fill in. We don't fully know the experience of the coaches and players and administrators and staff members involved to make 2020 happen. And so we know that we had games, which is a positive thing. We know we had a season of some kind that was variable across different major conferences and that, you know, obviously FCS teams and programs didn't play in the fall. And we've got some of them starting up right around now and and shortly. So it's all still, it all still feels very haphazard to me, but I I think I'm like everybody else in that I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that we can get, I, I don't know if we can get back to normal because there's, there's never going back in life. Life is all about change, but it's create a new normal that we can all be happy with. So that's where my brain is at right now. All right. Well, I like that. I, I like that very much there, Dan. So as we're going through the offseason here, spring practice will get underway for most teams in the next like several weeks. As you're looking at just spring practice, big picture storylines, is it coaching changes? Now, this is not Big 12 specific, just college football in general. Wh- what are you looking forward to storyline-wise in spring football? Yeah, it's new coaches. Obviously, Texas in the Big 12 is one of the, the major programs that is working in new coaches, new system, and, and sort of new culture. Um, but yeah, it's generally new coaches and to see quarterback battles. I mean, the school that I root for, the school I went to, uh, Oregon just lost their starting quarterback from last season. It didn't look like he was going to be the, the long-term answer for the Ducks. But, you know, some quarterback battles uh, around the country, some early enrollees across the country coming in from high school, you know, missing their whatever prom was going to be this year. But, you know, they just sort of stepping into a college lifestyle early. That's becoming more of the norm across college football. And just it's one of those things where I'm hopeful that nothing happens because usually it's just bad news that comes out of spring in the in the way of somebody tearing their ACL or an Achilles or something like that. So um, and then we're going to have, I guess, our second or third transfer season after spring practice in terms of guys getting beat out for spring specific jobs and becoming available and schools, you know, leaving scholarship scholarships open for the transfer portal and seeing who's jumping in there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to all the both on field and administrative activity. All right. So the team you just mentioned there, Dan is, is where I was going to start in the big 12. And that is obviously Texas firing Tom Herman, hiring Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, It's early. Obviously we have no idea what the uh, win loss is going to look like uh, this fall or beyond for Steve Sarkeesian. But from what we've seen these first couple of months, how do you think Texas fans should be feeling? 
I think they should be feeling very good. I, I like the staff a good deal. I like the early returns on recruiting, and Steve Sarkeesian obviously has connections to the West Coast. And I, I'm always a big fan, and it was something that troubled me a little bit from afar when you know, Mac Brown is recruiting Texas. He's just like, let's just sign up the best you know, 25 Texans their junior year and move on. And that ultimately was not a thoughtful approach. And it, it cost Mac Brown a, a giant job in college football because they weren't recruiting quarterbacks. Well, guys who would flash early on in their high school careers wouldn't necessarily develop and pan out as, as college players. So I think Steve Sarkeesian will do a really strong job of reforging relationships at top schools in Texas. But I think as we see, he just got a five-star commitment from Malik Murphy in Southern California. He'll leverage his relationships and experience on the West coast to build, hopefully, I mean, it, it's never going to be tough to attract top kids to Austin. That, that we know. Um, the thing is, is it the right top kids for the culture, for the system, for what Steve Sarkeesian, and you know, I really like Pete Kwiatkowski, who we brought in from Washington as defensive coordinator. I like the position coaches. So I'm optimistic, but the last time we saw Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach off the field, it was a disaster. The last time we saw him uh, as a head coach on the field, it was largely mediocre. So I still think he has a lot to prove, but he should have the, uh, the the backing and the assets to do so. The Oklahoma Sooners are still obviously the the class of the conference, no doubt about it. And you know, I like I like reading for those of us that are college football fanatics the the way too early top twenty fives or way too early preseason rankings, whatever you want to call them. Uh, some people already have Oklahoma like in that number two spot based on uh, what is coming back, that defense as well that Alex Grinch is building. Are you, I know it's early, Dan, but are you looking at Oklahoma and saying this is the year they get over that hump, win a college football playoff semifinal, and can compete for a national title? Uh, I mean, the the road looks pretty good within the conference, and the fact of the matter is, at a lot of these major schools, I mean, I suppose outside of Clemson, the quarterback position is largely unsettled. Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback. Clemson will have a new full-time starting quarterback. Alabama will have a new quarterback. Georgia brings back JT Daniels. But on the on the national level, Oklahoma's positioned itself well. I'd still like to see a another dramatic step forward from this defense. And they looked especially good against the pass, so they gave up some big plays. And they were decent enough against the run, and they got their act together. It's it's hard to fully take things away from the 2020 season, though. There's just there were just so many differences from that and a season we've grown accustomed to as normal. But I mean, in terms of what Oklahoma showed on the field on defense, I'd like to see more depth being built there you know, on the recruiting trail, because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, at the end of the season, the teams with star quarterbacks and depth to weather injuries, like we saw, you know, Alabama loses its starting center, not a problem. And so that's, that's what I want to see from Oklahoma. And, you know, Lincoln Riley's obviously recruited incredibly well, but it's, it takes those three, four, five, six consecutive classes to really build up that depth. Nobody can really match it right now in terms of depth and actual execution in the Big 12, but that's what we've seen is that Oklahoma, when faced with Joe Burrow, when faced with Kyler Murray, that's when it becomes so much more difficult. But I, I think the steps are being taken in the right direction, but still – Still need to see it against an explosive offense. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. He's Dan Rubenstein, Solid Verbal Podcast, joining us here in the show. So, uh, Dan, Matt Campbell signs another extension with Iowa State, and Iowa State fans will tell you there was never a doubt. Uh, how surprised are you? You know, you cover, obviously, the entire college football landscape. You talk to a lot of people in it. Are are people still surprised by Campbell remaining loyal to to Ames, or is it expected at this point? 
I think it's expected at this point. I also just realized I mentioned Kyler Murray facing the Oklahoma defense. He played for Oklahoma. I meant to uh, in that instance in the playoff. Um, as for Matt Campbell, I am I'm not fully surprised. I think a coach at his level is going to be coveted, but won't take. I think people are becoming more choosy about jobs. I don't think Matt Campbell is just going to jump on a job he doesn't believe in. A job like you know perhaps Michigan State, somewhere in that relative region, or Nebraska, something that he knows he won't be set up to succeed like he will at even bigger places. So if, you know, a year or two from now, Ryan day decides to take the Chicago bears job, or if Brian Kelly decides, you know what, I've, I've lived a good coaching life. I'm going to retire now. Like I, I think Matt Campbell is going to be extremely choosy and knows that he has it good. You look at some of the places that haven't necessarily been powers. And now Iowa state, at least in the context of the big 12 is considered a power. They were in the championship game and they beat a power in a, a new year six game. So we're talking about Iowa state as a, an up and coming, interesting, powerful team in, in the college football landscape. So Matt Campbell is, is emperor of Ames and that's a good place to be. And where the expectation is, has grown, but if all of a sudden Iowa state has a down seven and five year, six and six year, they're not going to be throwing him out of town. So I think coaches more and more recognize when they have it good, they leverage that and get paid like Matt Campbell is now getting paid and he will be choosy about an opportunity. And I, I think it's the right way to go, especially when you got kids and you, you found yourself as a, a beloved figure. Yeah. I could not agree more on, on just that uh, mindset. So Dan, when you um, when you look around this conference, uh, is there a coach or a team that you say, "Boy, got to have a turnaround season"? Is it is it Matt Wells at Texas Tech? Is it uh, Les Miles trying to just get a win or two at Kansas? Is it Gary Patterson at TCU trying to um, build things back up there? Is it Dave Aranda at Baylor? I mean, who who do you think of the guy that has to pick up a couple more wins this season or could be in serious trouble? Uh, I think. Texas Tech and, and Matt Wells is tough because there were already rumors about his job security after last season. They go four and six, and, and really the way they start out the season needing a, what was it, two or three point win to beat Houston Baptist, and yeah. then, you know, able to beat West Virginia, and I believe a, a narrow win against Kansas to finish out the year. It, it doesn't leave a fantastic taste in the mouths of those in Lubbock. So I, I, I certainly think there are. Uh, the microscope is getting a little bit more focused on Matt Wells there for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I'd like to see TCU and uh, Gary Patterson improve things. It's one of those situations. And I don't think it's terribly different than what's happening uh, in Stillwater is the quarterback is interesting enough and makes enough plays to make you think that they're, they can be really good consistently, but they just don't actually show it in practice. You know, you get good Max Duggan and, unclear Max Duggan and the same <laughs> thing happens to Spencer Sanders. Uh, and it, it's, it's very tricky because quarterback is going to make or break everything. And as we saw at Kansas state, what happened when Will Howard took over when Skylar Thompson got hurt, if you don't have a quarterback, doesn't matter how interesting your defense is. doesn't matter how interesting Deuce Vaughn is. It, you're just going to lose games and you're going to lose games sometimes in ugly fashion. So yeah, I mean, TCU has been, been searching for the formula and, you know, rehiring Sonny Cumbie and I I just I don't see a, a path forward right now for TCU to get back to that place but I you know they're a quarterback away it always just seems that they're a quarterback away and they just can't find them so yeah I think Matt Wells is in that danger position that the other guys aren't but 
there's a lot of guys occupying sort of a, a gray area as in we see the potential, but they just, they can't string it together for three straight weeks. Yeah. And I wonder if a guy like Neil Brown at West Virginia is in that similar boat. I had one of the best defenses in America this past year, but couldn't really capitalize on it because of that quarterback position, Dan. I mean, but it was weird because Neil Brown, sure. apparently there was some uh, some interest there from Tennessee. So, like, what is the the viewpoint of Neil Brown and his prospects, not just at West Virginia, but as a head coach in the college football world? I still think he has a good reputation. Obviously, we saw a pretty decent year from Letty Brown. Jared Deggy was fine. He was not awful. He didn't throw a ton of picks. He, he didn't put he didn't bring a ton to the table as well. But they didn't really have a ton of go-to offensive players. And yeah, you're right. The defense was, was largely pretty good. Um, and what they, I think they got blown out by Iowa state, but that was in the middle of, I think they were two or three weeks off before and after. So sort of an on an Island there, but largely a really nice step forward for the defense. And, and then you can find offense at West Virginia, especially with the, the high school relationships that they have in Florida. I, I think Neil Brown still is given a pass in the way that, guys like Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson aren't just because he's so new to the job still. I think this year is going to go a long way into deciding Neil Brown's reputation, I guess, big picture and within the big 12, if they can develop a quarterback, if they can develop an offense to, you know, score 30 points a game, 30, 35 points a game, they're going to be in a really nice place to, to give everybody in the conference trouble. The problem is they just week to week, uh, you know, they, they look good against Kansas they lose to Texas Tech. They look good against Kansas State with a backup quarterback, mind you, and then they score 13 points against the Texas team that you should be able to score a little bit more against. So mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things that if they can at least bring it every week on offense, Neil Brown's going to be, uh, I think, a bright shining star. Last thing for you, Dan. Where, where do you see the Big 12 in the Power 5 echelon in, in terms of you know SEC, Big 10, Pac-12, ACC? Where, where is the Big 12 right now heading into this offseason? They're in a pretty good spot. I mean, there's no, there's no conference right now that has four killers or something at the top, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Alabama and Georgia and to a lesser extent, Florida rebuilding things at the top. Uh, A&M's in a good spot, but there's, there are questions about all of those teams. And the Big 12, basically, it's, it's going to be a two-team conference in terms of national recognition. But right now, Iowa State jumping up is a nice story. But as a conference, if Iowa State is one of your headline programs, I don't know if that's a great branding place to be. And maybe Iowa State will string together another 10 years of excellent football, but it's going to take a minute to reverse that kind of reputation. So I think the Big 12 is an, in an entertaining spot, but I, I largely look at conference intrigue in terms of a list of quarterbacks, a list of quarterback potential. And right now, the ACC is in a more interesting spot. I think the SEC is in a more interesting spot. The Big 10 has taken a step back with Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin all looking kind of subpar to say the very least, in mm-hmm. 2020. So I think the Big 12 is right there with, you know, in, in the middle of the pack with the, probably the Big 10 right now in terms of quarterback intrigue. The Pac-12 is kind of a big unknown. But right now it's just, it's the SEC and the ACC and kind of everybody else. It's you know, In terms of quarterback, where is the Big 12 right now? It's, it's Spencer Rattler and kind of a, 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 a middling pack. And mm-hmm. so... I, I'm curious to see, and Brock Purdy, obviously. So Spencer Adler, Brock Purdy, and then kind of it, it feels like a replacement-level grouping. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He's Dan Rubenstein, Solid Verbal Podcast, does a great job if you're a college football fan. 
Uh, Dan, great to have you on. Thanks, as always, for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Can't wait for spring practice. Yes, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. He's Dan Rubenstein, Solid Verbal Podcast. Appreciate him hopping on for a few minutes. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you guys. And please take a moment out, leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It does help. I'm telling you, it helps more than you know. And that's why we have a free Heartland College Sports koozie ready for you when you leave me a rating and a review and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the rest of the week. Stay warm if you're in the Midwest, and we'll talk to you soon.